I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. This one is going to be a lot of fun. The Orioles have some magic going. There's magic happening in Birdland, so who better to talk to than Melanie Newman on the broadcast crew for the Orioles, also killing it in her career, by the way. So we're going to talk a lot about the Orioles. Adley Rutschman, of course, Gunnar Henderson getting the call up, and just the magic happening there. And we're also going to talk a little bit about her career. So let's get to it now and welcome in Melanie Newman. All right, and now I am pumped to be joined by Melanie Newman. She kills it for the Orioles. Play-by-play on the Apple TV broadcast. She was part of the all-female broadcast last year for the first time in history. Just killing the game. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. It's been a wild season so far. It it really has, and, and that's where I want to start. I'll start with the Orioles. And last year, this Baltimore Orioles team lost 110 games and here we are a year later and they are within reach of the playoffs like that's not a crazy thing to say they've been playing great they're above 500 the Camden Yards is rocking again what has been the biggest difference this year for the Baltimore Orioles um, honestly, the, the chemistry, it's all those intangibles that you kind of hope you're able to analyze and, and put together, but, um, they finally have a voice. We've talked about this before, but they've brought in Rugnet Odor and Robinson Chirinos. They're grizzly veterans. They wanted guys like Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins to feel comfortable enough that they could be loud, that they could bring some energy during the game. And they were just kind of in that middle ground where it was, you know, I know I'm in the big leagues, but I also don't feel like I've been here long enough to have the right to do that. So you bring in some guys that literally aren't afraid to punch you in the face. They know who they are. They've seen winning teams before and they give that spark. Now you add in the fact that some of this youth injection is starting and these guys aren't coming up cocky thinking they're owed the world. No, they know that they have to work just as if not harder than anybody else in the clubhouse. And so that indoctrinates them into that group right away. They've all taken to each other very easily. We've gotten to talk to several of the guys about it this year and um, just how much time they really spend together, that camaraderie in the clubhouse, the small things like putting the ping pong table back in now that COVID protocols have pretty much cleared up. um, That's what it comes down to for this group. 
I'm not just going to gloss over that statement. It was great. They're literally not afraid to punch you in the face. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, so, Melanie, the trade deadline this year brought about an interesting situation for the Orioles. At the time, they were above 500. They were playing great baseball. They were starting. That's when the magic was starting there. It, it felt like they were rolling. What was the decision and the thought process at the trade deadline to be sellers? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the fact that for general manager Mike Elias, he's never going to take his eyes off of the big picture. So some success was coming earlier than scripted on the blueprint, but that doesn't mean you throw the blueprint and the years that you've been laying into this foundation away in terms of what's going on in the moment. So it's kind of a mutual decision. We talked to Trey Mancini for weeks leading up to his trade, and he could see the writing on the wall at this point. He wanted to be a guy who was getting routine playing time, both in the outfield and at first base. He told us, look, I, I see Ryan Mountcastle. He's clearly become the first baseman. Our outfield is stacked. So I love being a DH. I love these guys, and I want to be here. But at the same time, I really want to be able to contribute. And he was really happy feeling that by the time he left, he had, in fact, seen the rebuild through. That was his biggest goal of all, was he wanted to walk away from this team when they were in a contention phase, knowing that he helped maybe build a little bit of that. And he absolutely did. Now, on the flip side, Jorge Lopez is a guy who's had success coming to him for a long time. He's always had the tools, but he has had a lot that he has had to deal with over not only his career, but his personal life. And all of that really serendipitously came together for him while he was here in Baltimore, he really had a staff that understood him as a human being at that level first, and they went from there. So you take some of that success you've been able to build in this player and get some talent for him while you can. It was a huge return that Mike Elias ultimately got back for him. And we've also been kind of hearing on the backside of things too. Don't think that this is necessarily the last of Jorge Lopez in the black and orange, because the truth is the relationship that he has with this club is a very special one. Both sides are very eager to hopefully see a reunion at some point. But it was overall that goal of wanting to make sure that what is coming is built for years, not just for the sprint that they found themselves in this year. It was really cool to see Trey Mancini say afterwards, like, I, I always said I wanted to see this rebuild through, and I feel like I did that. And it was really cool to, to hear him say that. So, you know, and, and you're right, and, and it makes so much sense. I mean, the Orioles are set up to win in the future, and it seems like this success has come, I don't want to say earlier than planned, but like to happen in the middle of the year when you start calling up the guys, it's been a lot of fun, but I don't think they were expecting to win this year and to get into the playoffs. So is there any sort of any sort of regret from getting rid of those guys at the deadline, or is everybody happy with, with the way things have played out still, even though now at beginning of September, the playoffs are still in sight? Yeah, I think everybody's happy at this point because there was that open communication. General Manager Mike Elias went to Houston to basically reassure the team of how he was feeling in that moment and what he thought of this clubhouse as it was. And again, for Mancini and Lopez, they are some of the most open books that you will find in the game. So they also had the chance to really talk to the rest of the team, to say those goodbyes. You hear it from the guys all the time. They count. They watch when Lopez gets a save. They watch when Mancini gets a home run. Obviously oh, not when it's against the Astros, but um, it's one of the more emotional trade seasons I've ever seen for a single team. And yet at the same time, very amicable. It, it's that really picture-perfect case of how big the baseball family is. So despite losing an all-star closer in Jorge Lopez, they have had 
Felix Bautista step in and and been fantastic. I mean, he has been so much fun to watch. Can you can you talk a little bit about his story and his journey to where he is now and his rise to being um, a staple in the back end of the Orioles bullpen? He is, and, and I I always I usually say this off air, so I, I will share this with you here. I call him Ferdinand the Bull. He's a big guy. He looks absolutely menacing. I mean, he's not anybody that I want to face on the mound, but he is the nicest, happiest guy. I also think I've ever seen just to be in the game. I, I don't think fans get it either. He was in a ball last year for him to be doing what he's doing this year. And if I wanted to sum up that personality for him, uh, his mother is certainly the person he's the most proud to represent. That's who he thinks of every day. The first strikeout was for her. The first save ball is he's also, he's got them all in his locker in their boxes for when he finally gets to see mom. He's hoping that he brings her over stateside sometime soon. Um, but the Orioles cleared the benches at one point against the Rays and here comes Felix Bautista out of the bullpen. <laughs> and you just think, man, why, why is Pete Fairbanks of all people going to try to chirp when you've got Felix Bautista <laughs> and what is he doing? He's bear hugging guys and removing them from the situation. <laughs> he's, he's not out there to throw punches or anything, but he always talks about the fact that his biggest hurdle is controlling his emotions in those moments, making sure he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. He's just able to stay in the middle, especially now that he's inherited that closers role. And so far, I'd argue he's done a really good job of it, especially as he's learned more to mix in that splitter, to give a little bit of differentiality between that and, of course, the triple digits that he's bringing. Yeah, I mean, he's so much fun. And that is a cool part of his story here is Bautista was pitching in a ball just a year, you know, not long ago at all. And that's that's really cool here. So uh, another guy on this team that, I'm really excited about is Jorge Mateo because one, I played against him in the minor leagues and he is the fastest player I have ever played against. He like floats on air and it's so cool, but he had never really put it together at the big league level. And it feels almost like Mateo has found a home and that he feels comfortable. And it seems like he has been a huge part of this team's success. So what has he meant to this Baltimore Orioles team? Yeah, I, I mean, and and we've all heard this, you know, it, it takes repetition, practice makes perfect, and that's all that Jorge Mateo really needed at the end of the day. He hadn't had a home previously to make him the everyday shorting, starting shortstop to give him those repetitions. I mean, he's the backup to Fernando Tatis Jr. at one point, so you can get it. I, it's hard to find a space in that situation. So he comes here, and this has been the big thing for manager Brandon Hyde all along, is just preaching confidence. This is your spot. You're not going to lose it tomorrow, but go out there and be yourself and play your game. He's so flashy. He brings that in the clubhouse too, by the way. He doesn't revert into some quiet guy. I mean, who he is on the field is who he is behind the scenes as well. And you've just loved to watch him come out of his shell and really start to flourish with this group. The communication on the infield is fantastic. You look at the defensive runs saved between this year and last year. And it's staggering. I mean, the Orioles were like a negative 30 combined when you were going up the middle. And now, of course, they're in the plus because he, Odor, Ramon Urias at third, Mountcastle at first is obviously getting picks for days. But um, it's it's wild to watch. And there's moments where you think, you know, he's surely out or this is just going to be a single. And all of a sudden you look up, he's at second or third base. <laughs> you know, he'll he'll be in a deep shift out behind second to right. And all of a sudden he's scooping a ball halfway to third. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And, and I told someone the other day, the last person I could really compare him to 
when you look at him and the way he moves next to everybody else on the field, we had Ender and Ciarte in his prime gold glove years do a rehab in double A. And he floated, you know, he was there before anybody could blink. And it, he just, he stood out so much compared to every other fielder. That's what I'm Yeah. I, that's floats is the only word that comes to mind for me. Well, you know, uh, other words come to mind cause he's a stud, but when it comes to his running, he floats, and there is no other way to put it more perfectly than that. Uh, Melanie, for the Orioles this year, I, I feel like you can point to a day that things started turning around and feeling different, and that day for me would be the day Adley Rutschman got called up to the big leagues, and all of the hype all of the you know all of the eyes on him because he was this big super prospect and everybody was like you know putting all of this pressure on him and he has been so mm-hmm. much fun and a big reason for the turnaround of this team so uh, i guess my first question for you cuz i want you to talk about adley but would you also point to that day of adley coming up to that's when things started to feel different in baltimore this year no doubt I mean, things were already starting to be pieced together to be different, but the physical production, the difference in, you know, run differentiation, the number of wins they were bringing home, it it, it all begins and ends with Adley. And I guess it shouldn't really be a surprise. I mean, this is a kid, he he was a 1-1 for a reason. And you look at the numbers that he had built over his career, you look at the work ethic, everything that goes into the makeup of who Adley is as a person, and it would attribute to somebody making a big change like this. I mean, and you look at the numbers he has now, for a kid with almost a 1,000 less plate appearances than any other catcher, he's, what, second behind Jose Trevino? And that's about it. I mean, for him to have caught up to every other catcher in the big leagues in statistical comparison, especially defensively, it just blows you out of the water. But this is another kid like Felix Bautista. He's he's not this wild, flashy guy. He comes from modest roots. His family has instilled the best work ethic in him. He's so proud of the fact that he models his catching after his dad and that he feels like if you watch videos of he and Randy side by side, you see a lot of the same mechanics. And, of course, everybody's favorite at the end of the day is the Adley hug. I think we'd all like one <laughs> after a win. It's It's like the best feeling in the world. Um, but no, it's, it's no doubt he is the win producer for this team. So he had that, you know, he had a good first game. He got that first hit out of the way and then it wasn't necessarily easy for him for, for a stretch there, but he's really propelled and progressed and, and putting together such a good year. I would have loved to see this over the course of a full season, but obviously, you know, some stuff transpired before the season, but what has he done so far this year what adjustments has he made from the day he got called up to to where he is right now he's just kept a level head honestly we've asked him a couple times if there's been any changes and and he said you know when you look at it everybody goes through it it's just a matter of training your eye to big league pitching and something that i like that both he gunner henderson uh and the rest of the orioles who are coming up behind them mentioned is the fact that they've been taught to stay within their zone to read their pitches because as you move up levels the pitchers don't get any easier but if you start trying to get outside of yourself and those pitches you know you can drive big league pitchers are going to feed on that all day long they're going to get you to chase they're going to expand the zone and and so he has literally just stayed patient in reading and understanding the way that pitchers are ultimately going to come home to him and he got challenged i think inside 
for a long time. And then he started getting that bat speed a little quicker. He's got a beautiful swing. But once he started challenging those inside shots, he kind of evened the score. He became another normal guy at the plate. They were going to have to be able to rock in and out to mix things up a little bit. And so for him, that just means it's another shot to really read the pitch that he is coming for him. I was so excited for him and so excited for his debut. And I am so excited for the debut of this next guy. You briefly mentioned him, but I have been waiting for a while because I am a big fan of his. Gunnar Henderson has gotten the call to the big leagues. Melanie, what can people expect from Gunnar Henderson? I mean, first of all, I felt like you guys knew something because you picked like the biggest news day for the Orioles that we've had since Adam's call at this point. <laughs> so I'll have to call you next time I need to know something. But uh, no, and I, I went to Troy. And so I have a lot of friends who grew up in Selma, Alabama. My phone has been going off the hook. Everybody is so excited because they know the Henderson family very well. And this is somebody who they are very excited for, who ultimately deserves this. And if you ask about this kid's work ethic, all you need to know is his big signing bonus purchase was building a batting cage. He, he didn't get a fancy car. He didn't go out and buy a big house. He built an indoor batting cage in his backyard because it rains too much in the winter in Selma. Um, he's a level head, you know, and he has dealt very well with the fact that they have played him all across that infield uh, and he just takes it day by day he's he's got a really good iq when it comes to reading defensively what's going on uh i thought for sure we'd see a little bit of a, a struggle as he moved position to position and even this week he was supposed to go play second for two days and then move over to first and um it was no problem for him because again they've gone and done the due diligence to find kids that have good work ethic that have a good character makeup behind them. And I think the fact that the game is really starting to actually pay attention to that should tell us how good things are going to get over time, because it does matter. You can have some of the best players on a team. We've seen several this year, but if the chemistry isn't there, it's not going to matter because they're not going to have that body language on the field with each other. It's not going to relate to wins. And for Gunnar Henderson, I mean, he gets good reads. We just mentioned that his philosophy on what he does at the plate is just to stick to yourself. He said, if you slow your game down, that's when you get to speed up everybody else. You actually get those better hits. And so he's not going to be pressed when he steps up to the plate. And again, they're going to throw him anywhere and he's just going to say, okay, give me the right glove and he'll be there. So curious to see where he ends up. Of course, they optioned Tyler Nevin in his place who had been primarily at third, but with Ramon Urias fully healthy, you, you start to ask, you know, where, where do we fit all of these young, really good kids? Because there are so many of them. And the crazy thing is there's still more right at the doorsteps. Yeah. There, there are so many young, really good talents. And like you said, it's still the top farm system in baseball. It is wild. The future, I don't even want to say the future is now for the Orioles. And that's what's exciting about this is the future is still to come. The potential is there. It's full of a bunch of young studs, but who is the leader in the clubhouse here on this relatively young team? You know, it, it depends when you're looking at the different spots in the clubhouse. I mentioned Odor and Chirinos earlier. You would certainly argue that the two of them lead the way for that. Chirinos is kind of a father figure for a lot of those guys, particularly with Adley Rutschman. He has guided the way for him throughout this. And um, Jordan Lyles on the pitching side of things, you know, they call him dad. They have shirts now that say <laughs> Happy Father's Day with his face on them. Um, if you watch our games and it's not a Lyles start day, 
Tyler Wells is probably right behind his shoulder. I mean, this kid just follows him everywhere. And he's even said, you know, sometimes he can talk and Lyles just turns around and says, that's enough for right now. We're, we're going to, we're going to look at something else. Um, but, but even with the coaching staff, you know, these guys are really close to the players. Darren Holmes transformed that bullpen. He's made it a place where they can have fun. They can be themselves, but they can also understand that when it's time to work, you have to lock in. I mean, this is a bullpen. That's one of the top five most used in the country. It's the only winning team though, that is in that percentage that still has one of the best ERAs in the bullpen as well. But these are guys that go out there with their coach who has been there, done that, and they shotgun Red Bulls before a game. And I think that (laughs) just shows you how closely knit this group is. And, And for Brandon Hyde, you know, he even said it in 2020, how transformative. He was always a player's manager. But that year, his best player had cancer. He wasn't allowed to go home and see his family. You know, he had players that were speaking out about some things that they had experienced growing up just for the color of their skin. And it broke him down. I I was hard to watch that afternoon as he addressed the media about it. And he just said, you know, look, these guys as human beings are first and foremost my priority. The game is second. We'll get to the game after this. But I'm always going to care about who they are in the clubhouse first. And I think that just elevated it from really great to an unbelievable relationship that he has with them and um, getting to talk to Tyler Nevin a little bit. He just said, yeah, it's nice when you look around the clubhouse. Now we were all spaced out over the last couple of years. Guys were really quiet. They already had their bags packed. It was June and they were planning, you know, their October vacations. Now we're, we're chatty, you know, now all of our lockers are side by side with each other. We can look down the row and have those conversations. Nobody is thinking about packing up. We're thinking we have to cancel plans we've already had <laughs> because we're going to go out there and we're going to win. And I think that's also how you see performances like having guys throw eight and seven and two thirds innings where they shut down the Houston Astros of all people. Um, it's just been, it's been so fun to see how much this team has changed in three years. What's the vibe like? in Birdland these days, Melanie. What's the vibe just walking around Camden Yards these days? So the best way I can compare it is uh, I did statistics at the Brave Stadium, their last year Turner Field, mm-hmm. and then their first year at their new ballpark at Truist. And back then, Turner Field was kind of putting some seats in the lower bowl, but I also remember looking down, and it was a couple thousand, and it felt like two-thirds of them were Mets fans. And then you transition to Truist and it was a team that was finally turning. They had the hometown kid and Dansby Swanson coming to them from Arizona and it filled up and people said, Oh, well, that'll go away. The mystique of the new ballpark will fade, but the team escalated their level of play at the same time. And it's a packed house every single night. Now they have one of the best attendants in the league. That's kind of what the Orioles are doing, but they don't have a new ballpark. They have a ballpark that a lot of others are modeled after instead where you could look around, and obviously I joined in a year where we didn't have fans at all, so take that with a grain of salt, but there are so many nights now where it doesn't even have to be an American League East team, which is so different from the last couple of years, but this place is legitimately packed. It gets loud. They roar. I'm I'm so weirded out now when I go to other games (laughs) that the Orioles aren't playing in, and they sing the national anthem, and you don't hear this, oh, just roaring (laughs) from the crowd because – that's what they're bringing right now. I'm in the grocery store all the time and there's people in Orioles shirts and hats and you didn't used to previously see that. Um, we had a guy, Mr. Larry at Chick-fil-A, he's an older gentleman, but I went to go pick up my food the other day and he just said, oh, those Orioles are really good. And I said, yeah, they are, aren't they? <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't want to get into, I actually work for them. And he looks at me square in the eyes and he says, 
you know, Adley Rutschman's the first rookie with 30 extra base hits and 30 walks for the Orioles. And the fact that they know the minutia like that should tell you how excited they are. It was nuts. It is one of the best atmospheres when the team is good and the team is rolling. I will forever remember, though it's not a great memory for me, the 2014 ALDS. (laughs) Um, It was electric there, the orange and black. When Camden Yards is rolling, there really aren't a lot of places like it. The stadium is one of my favorites. The atmosphere is awesome. So it's so great that they're turning things around. Melanie, I want to talk a little bit about you and your career now shifting a little bit. Um, in 2020, you became the first female in franchise history for the Orioles to do play-by-play. You did it on the radio. How special was that day for you? Uh, it, it was a stretch. Um, the first game was technically one of our spring training games. It was right before the season got shut down. My allergies were in overdrive, so I had <laughs> almost no voice. Pat Valeka hit a home run out to left and I went to elevate for the call and I could feel it like I was going to have a coughing fit if I kept going. And so I kind of squeaked it out like, oh, Valeka out to left. And I immediately abused my mute button. And where I got really lucky with that is my main radio partner, Jeff Arnold. He and I were in the Carolina League together. And since I was mostly solo while I was there, he had a full-time partner. We played each other more than anybody else in the league that year. So he would, for a couple innings a game, hop over into my booth and just, it just breaks things up a little bit from the monotony of 140 games talking to yourself. Um, So we already had that chemistry with each other and the good relationship. Uh, Ben McDonald, our other analyst, you know, I've, I've followed him around like the, the little kid, you know, who always, Oh, I want to be where you are. How do I do this? And uh, now we get to work together, but it was such a blur of a day. And then obviously everything getting shut down and, and not being sure what was going to happen it was a very quiet and calm transition to the majors for me. Um, you know, our first game, they were in DC and it was just me, Jeff and our radio engineer, Kevin Reed in a booth in Camden yards. Wow. All the lights were off. It felt like we were having a, a middle school lock-in, but um, it allowed for a very calm, quiet transition into this atmosphere. And there is still so much that I'm learning about the game and, and how to call it and, and different phrases and, I'm so lucky that there are so many people who routinely check in or they'll listen in and they'll send me feedback and advice in ways that I can continue to improve. And and so now the next step for us is just fully getting back to 100 percent, being able to travel, um, you know, being able to be around the guys all the time, because that's what has been the hardest to be away from. You know, you go from the minors where you're in the turtle for BP and you're on the bus and you know, you guys are at Taco Bell because that's what you can afford that week. And then all of a sudden everybody <laughs> is six feet apart or, you know, from a, a very big distance. And and those relationships matter when we tell the game, because that's why fans come back is the human side of these guys and the relationships that we're able to let them feel like they also have. So last year, you know, fast forward your, your, your first full season, 2021, you got to be a part of the first ever all-female broadcast of a Major League Baseball game. It was, one, so cool. I watched it. It was so much fun to watch, and uh, I felt like, not, and it was, it was history being made, and it was so cool. How special for you was it to be a part of that? I felt really honored because there were several women that they could have called on for that role. And for it to be me is just 
beyond my wildest dreams. Um, the cast that they put together for that, getting to work with a good friend and Sarah Langs, who quite frankly is one of the most underrated baseball statisticians out there. She's a great broadcaster. Um, that was very near to me. You know, I've looked up to Heidi Watney and Alana Rizzo for so long with the integrity that they bring to their role in the game. And Lauren Gardner has just been a ball of energy. So getting to be with those women, our production team is fantastic. I could not ask for a better crew, but um, at the end of the day, we just felt like we were going to work. And the fact that it was an Orioles game was even more cool. You know, that's, that's also going to be in there forever. So it's a team that I knew very well. And in addition to the fact that they're playing the Rays who I've also grown up seeing my whole life, but um, it, it was just such a blur because I had called the previous night's game from Camden Yards. They were in Tampa. I got off air. I drove overnight to Secaucus, New Jersey to call that. So it's, wow. you know, waking up as late as I could and prepping. And game three was at noon the next day. Um, we had a 6 a.m. hit with Good oh Morning God. America. So then I called that game, got off air, drove back home that night got in at three 30 in the morning, woke up at six, did the interview, went to the ballpark and, and I just got in and, um, you know, she looked at me and Hoda said, Oh, you know, what are you feeling right now? This must be so cool. And I said, I feel like I need coffee. <laughs> and that was <laughs> The only thing that could come in, but to have a bond with those women for the rest of my life and to really feel like they have also done the work to make this a regular situation. This was not a one and done for them. They didn't put it on a pedestal and then say, okay, we're, we're done with that. Um, you mentioned it earlier, you know, they, they elevated me into this role now with the Apple plus Friday night games. Um, I think that's where you find it is the people who put dignity behind their actions. It's not just a pedestal movement from, for them. It's actually significant movement in the way we evaluate who is capable of doing a job. So you just mentioned it, the, the Apple plus games. And I, I want to talk to you about that as well, because it's a big deal and you know it's a it's a new thing for apple and and to call on you and to for you to earn that job speaks volumes to what you have done over the course of your career so far and i think it's so cool and it's been really cool to watch it's it's an experiment that almost feels like you know apple had never gotten in the baseball game now they are the broadcast is different it's unique uh the camera angles are different the graphics are different but it's a really fun experience so how fun for you has it been being a part of that experience from where it started to where it is now? You've been along the way the whole time. And how awesome has that? Been? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's been so overwhelming to get to go out with these guys. Chris Young is the best analyst they could have given us. I mean, our crew, when it started, he was the only guy and there were three women and he's so good for that role because he doesn't see it any differently. You know, he leads a house of women and um, for him, it was just, you know, we're all on equal territory, but he was also approachable. You know, if I had a question or something that I didn't understand, I could ask him about it. And there, there was no judgment. You know, he, he was so excited. The fact that I'm still trying to learn this game and I'm, I'm open about the fact that I'm trying to learn this game. And so we've all kind of gone through this together with an open mind. And it's always where I point back at my minor league roots of 
you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to roll with the waves a little bit because you're right. Where it started with their ideas, how they wanted it to look and sound at the beginning is completely different yeah. from where it is right now. And that evolves on a game by game basis. And so, you know, it's it's one of those situations where, yeah, I've, I've maybe taken a few different changes with my social media um, just because I think fans also didn't realize that we were learning just as they were, how we wanted these <laughs> games to sound. Um, but really cool collaboration between Apple and MLB Network as they continued to speak about it. They convened every week. They made the changes they wanted to and their ability to give those notes to us in a constructive way that we could actually take them and make physical change has been awesome. But the the talent crew is amazing. The production crew is wonderful. Everybody we've worked with at Apple has been so kind as we're all understanding here that no one expected this to come out of the gate a finished product, but we are helping evolve the way that they bring sports to the world. I mean, we've seen some of the contracts that they're buying up right now for the next couple of yeah. years, and it's wild to see these changes coming up ahead and who knows where it goes from here. Well, Melanie, I am so happy for you and the big things that you are doing and your Orioles are doing big things as well. So um, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck the rest of the way this season with everything going on, and good luck to your Orioles. I am, uh, I'm rooting for them to get in. I think it'd just be a blast. So thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. That's what we love to hear. We, I told you we got plenty of room on the bandwagon. <laughs> exactly. I'm on it. I'm on it for sure. So thank you, Melanie. Man, that was a blast. Honestly, her career is skyrocketing, so it's really cool to talk to her about that. But the Orioles are rolling and I really do I think it'd be great for the city for the stadium for the fans for the team if the Orioles get in I don't know if it's gonna happen who knows but they're right on the doorstep and they're within reach and to be able to say that I think is pretty cool so thank you so much to Melanie again for her time it was a blast to have her on um, and I really enjoy watching her and I will keep watching her down the stretch now that the Orioles are really good. So thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts, Flippin' Bats Pod, subscribe to it. Also follow on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch every single episode on YouTube as well at Flippin' Bats Pod. Thank you all for listening and I will see you next time for another episode of Flippin' Bats.